Well, good morning, church. How many of you guys feel better because you got an extra hour of sleep? Okay, yes. You're awake, you're ready this morning, and I am excited that you're here. And once again, if you're our guest, if you're new to New Community Church, or if you're watching this later this week online and you're streaming this, thank you so much for being a part of our church service and joining with us. And we're excited that you're with us. And this is a great Sunday because we're kicking off a brand new series of conversations. And we're going to talk for the next few weeks on this series or on this kind of topic of ideas of I love my church and how Jesus loves his church and what he's called us to as the church and why is it important that we gather together? What is it that Jesus is calling us to? And so we want to spend the next few weeks talking about this idea and seeing what it is that God wants to speak to us. And I realized as we talk about the church in a room full of people like this, there are a lot of ideas that come to your mind. There are some thoughts that you have. Maybe you grew up in a church setting that was very different than this. I remember my brother-in-law, the first time he came to a church service like this, he said, Pastor Aaron, I thought they were having a concert. He's like, I didn't know what I showed up to. He grew up, you know, in a very traditional setting, kind of a liturgical setting. And so it was very different for him. And there's a lot of different thoughts. Some of you didn't grow up in church. And so this kind of church setting, you've been coming for a while, and this is kind of all that you know, but we want to look at what is it that shapes our mindset about the church? And what are some thoughts? Maybe not just what you've experienced, what you've heard other people say. And so I want to start just by kind of reshaping us and giving us a framework, and then we're going to jump into scripture. You know, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. So I grew up going to church all of my life. And when I first started to think about the church, some of my earliest memories started like this. I would wake up on a Sunday morning. I would get dressed. I'd run upstairs um, and try to get some breakfast before we had to leave to the church. And I can remember a lot of times my mom looking at me saying, Aaron, you are not wearing that to church. I was a little kid. And to their credit, I'm not color coordinated, okay? So I usually have to ask my wife or my daughter, hey, does this match? Does this look okay? I'm gonna have to get up in front of people. But there were certain things in the church culture that I grew up in that you had to wear some things. And I remember being nine or 10 years old and talking to this leader in my church and saying, I wanna be a pastor. And when I get older, I'm gonna preach in jeans. And he said, that will never, ever happen in a church. (laughs) Well, here you go, church leader. I'm in jeans this morning, okay? And so there were these mindsets. I remember a student coming to us and his name was Chris. And he said, I got kicked out of the last church. And I'm like, what do you mean you got kicked out? He said, they told me I couldn't come back because I didn't have a suit, a suit jacket and a tie to wear. And so I wasn't welcome there. And that just messed with me. I thought, Jesus, this is This cannot be what you meant when you started dreaming about the church, when you thought about the church. This can't be about what we wear, even the things that we do or what's required of us for us to come together as the body of Christ. That's that's not what this thing is about. You know, there's other mindsets that we develop. We we can think about a church building, and I realize I'm going to step on some toes this morning, but maybe when you think about the church, you think about this place. You think about 2600 East Glen Boulevard, and you tell people, hey, this is my church. This is where I go to church at. That's the church that I go to. But this isn't what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the church. And I want you to hear this. There is nothing sacred about the bricks, about this concrete, or about this stage. There's nothing sacred about these things. This thing could fall apart. A tornado could come. This building could be destroyed, and yet the church will continue to go on. And sometimes we, in an unhealthy way, have attributed that this is a sacred physical place, and it's really not. The important thing is when we come together. 
And I can remember once again as a kid and, and hearing people say, hey, don't let kids be loud in church. Don't let them run around. Don't let them have fun. And I thought, wait, that's what Jesus wants? Is kids growing up with a bad image or a grumpy image of what it means to come together as the body of Christ? And so I realized there's moments where we honor this when we're in prayer and where we're in worship. But I, I just want us to remember this physical location, this is not the church. Matter of fact, God's word challenges us that you and I, we're the temple of God. We're where the spirit of God resides and God's spirit dwells in each of us. And so we have to remember that as we approach this idea. For some of us, it's the time in the week. Like we really get locked into this mindset and into this mold that, that it's either 9.30 or it's 11.15. And, and that's when the church is. That's what church means is, is this time right here. And growing up, once again, my dad did such an amazing job. I would wake up and say, dad, are we ready to go to the church? And he'd say, Aaron, we're not going to church today. And I'd freak out. What do you mean? Dad, you're the pastor. You got to go to church today. And he'd say, no, Aaron, we are the church. And we gather together as the church. It's not a location. It's not a time that we go to. And as frustrating as that was, I was like, dad, you know what I mean? It was so vital because he was shaping my mind as a little kid of, hey, it's not a building, you guys. It's not just some institution. Each and every one of us, we are the church of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about this, when we talk about loving the church, we're talking about loving one another. Just take a moment. We're going to do this a few times today, but look around, smile at the person next to you. That's the church. That's what Jesus believes in. That's what Jesus died for. That's what Jesus loves. We're going to go through this idea today that Jesus loves the church. And we're not, once again, talking about a structure. We're talking about the people in this room, the local body of Christ that Jesus gave his life for and that he has a vision for. And so as we jump into this today, I want you to remember that the church is people. And Jesus loves us, and he has a passionate vision for your life and for my life and what he's calling us together to do. That is the idea of the church. And so we're going to look at scripture. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you. It's that blue book, and it's on page 480. And I want to encourage everyone in the room to take out a Bible, whether it's your own, whether it's one of those, you can take out your smartphone and just Google Matthew 16, 13, and we're going to walk together through this passage. We believe scripture shapes our life. And so what's going to be said today is not my opinion. It's not traditions of the church. Okay. It's not, we've done it this way for a long time. We're just going to once again, break down scripture and look at what God meant when he was talking about the church, when he was dreaming about the church and what he's calling us to and why Jesus loves the church. Now, in case you've never read the book of Matthew, Matthew is a biography about the life of Jesus. And it goes through the birth all the way through the death and the resurrection. And Matthew 16 is somewhere close to the middle of this book. And so it's talking about the public ministry. Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God. He's been a spiritual teacher. He's been teaching people and inviting sinners into the kingdom of God. He's been opening the eyes of the blind and making the lame walk and healing diseases. And so he takes this moment about halfway through his ministry before he's going to go to the cross. And he has this specific conversation with his disciples that is about the church. And so I want us to jump through this. Now, we're just going to sit in this passage and we're going to kind of break it down um, passage by passage. So we're going to walk through this. Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, we're going to stop right there, okay? 
I know what you're thinking. Aaron, we didn't even get through a verse. What can you say about this? But this is important. We understand this. And and let me just stop and challenge you. If you have your smartphone, if you have the Bible app, you can take notes. You can write in your Bible. Okay, God doesn't get mad about this. And so this may be something you don't know. And so it may be encouraging because it's going to open up insight for what Jesus is about to say. He's in the region of Caesarea Philippi for a specific purpose. And probably the early readers, like we don't kind of get that, but the early readers would have probably stopped and reread that. Wait a minute, that's not where Jesus should be. Because this is an area far north of Jerusalem, the main place where people worshiped and where a lot of the religious activity went on, but that's not where Jesus is at. He's not in Jerusalem, he's in Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi is a very dark place. You can tell from the name Caesarea, it was a place that paid homage to Caesar, the Roman emperor. And Herod the king, a very arrogant king over the nation of Israel, actually built a temple to Caesar. He wanted Caesar to know how much he loved him. And so he built this kind of a monument to Caesar and people would come there and worship. And as you entered the temple of Caesar, you would kneel down, you would say, Caesar is Lord. And you'd bring some offering, you'd bring some sacrifice, you would give something to Caesar to let him know you thought Caesar was deity, you thought he was God, you thought he had some supernatural power, and that he was the one in control of the world, and so you would worship at the temple of Caesar in Caesarea Philippi, and this is where Jesus is at. But not only is it a temple to Caesar, there's a temple to another God named Pan, and it's at the base of this mountain. I think we have a picture of it, and these are kind of the runes that are there. There's a cave where you enter into this and where you go into this temple area, and it's cut deep into the base of this mountain. As you went into that temple area back in ancient times, you would go in, and there were all of these kind of like enclaves. There were different areas that were cut in there, and you would worship to the god Pan. Pan was symbolized through this half-man, half-goat-looking kind of god or this deity, And so our modern depiction of Satan, if you've ever seen him with the red skin and with the horns, that comes from the god Pan. This was a very dark, it was a very demonic place. Pan was a fertility god. And so how you would worship is you would go into this temple area and you would commit sexual acts that were acts of worship towards this god. This is an extremely dark place and this is where Jesus decides to talk about the church. And I gotta think the disciples are saying, Jesus, did we take a wrong turn somewhere? Did we get lost? Like, why do we have the first church service right outside of these other temples, right outside of the area? This is not where we should be talking about God. It would be as if we met in front of like a drug house or a strip club. You would be saying, this is not where church should be happening. And yet this is where Jesus chooses to engage in this conversation because he wants to show the disciples something about his dream and his vision for the church. And so I want you to keep this in mind, this area, the position of where they're at, the physical surroundings for what Jesus is about to say. So let's keep on going. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. So they're in the district of Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who is it that you think that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And we're gonna pause here again. And once again, if you have your Bibles, even if it's one of those blue Bibles in front of you, I want you to underline that statement. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Because this is the foundation for the church. This is the foundation for the discussion. This statement right here is where everything is built upon. This idea that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of the living God. Now, this was kind of an awkward moment as they're sitting there having a conversation because everyone else gives the same safe answer. Well, they think you're a religious leader. They think you're some kind of prophet. They think you're someone sent from God. You have this amazing teaching. You have the power of Elijah working through you. You're like Jeremiah the prophet giving these amazing messages about the kingdom of God. And what does Peter do? In typical fashion, as you read through the gospels, he just blurts out what comes to him. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now I'm, I'm trying to put myself in this moment and this is the best way I can picture this. If you've ever been in a dating relationship, and you like that person, right? And you want to say, I love you, but you don't know how they're going to respond. And I was thinking, I, I love the TV show um, from a couple of decades ago, Seinfeld. And there's this character named George and he's dating this girl and, and he wants to say, I love you. He says, man, I've never really told someone that in a relationship before. And I just want to say it. And so they're out on a date and he looks at her and he says, I love you. And she says, I'm hungry. Let's go get some food. And he's like, wait a minute, did she hear me? What's going, it's awkward. I can't say it again, right? Like I've already put it out there. What do I do in that moment? And I have to imagine that's what it's like for Peter. It's like that first, I love you in the relationship. He's made this crazy, massive statement. You're the Christ. You're the salvation of the world. You're the Messiah. How's Jesus going to respond? And the other disciples are looking at him like it probably felt like an eternity, even though it was just a few moments. And Jesus says, Peter, that statement, you didn't come up with that. That's not from you. That's something that my Father in heaven has revealed to you. And I want you to just stop and think about that for a moment. The power of that statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Jesus begins to talk about in the following verses. We're going to get to them in a moment that he's saying, hey, this is the power of the church. This is the power. The power of the church is in that statement right there. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, because everything that we see the church doing, all that God has called us to is built upon that foundation that you and I, that we believe that, that we're asking questions about that. We're wrestling with that idea. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? How is my life different because of that statement? And that's what Peter declares. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So as we look at the church, we are united as one around one individual. That's what the church is. We are united as one around one individual. What makes us the church? It's that we believe that statement. We hold to that statement. We believe that, that, man, there is power in what Peter said there, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now just stop for a moment and think about what's happening in this room right now. Once again, look around. You guys, this just doesn't happen because we live in a time and we live in a nation where we are so quick to draw lines in the sand. And please don't raise your hand or amen too loud. But there are those of you I know in this room that politically you differ from the person sitting in front of you and behind you. You're saying, hey, I'm a Democrat. And this is what I believe. And these are the issues. And I don't know how other people could see it in different ways. And then there's someone that you just shook hands with during connect time that they're hardcore Republican and they believe that. And they think, man, this is the way the government should work. And yet on a Sunday morning, we come together and we're united. 
I mean, you start to look around once again in a nation that says, hey, we will divide you and we'll separate and we'll draw lines based off the color of your skin, based off of your ethnicity and your background. And you can't talk to this person and you don't really associate with them. And they're very different culturally from you. And yet on a Sunday morning, what do we do? We're united together as one around one. That's what we we come into a room like this. We come together in this room. There are different socioeconomic backgrounds. It's represented here. Some of you, you've been extremely blessed by God. You live in beautiful houses. Others of you, man, you struggle financially. Yet on a Sunday morning, we are united as one around one. This is not a social club. We don't just come together for religious reasons. We come because we have a relationship with Christ because we know Jesus. And so therefore, we start to set aside some of those things. We start to put aside some of those differences that the world wants us to be separated over. And we come together and we say, hey, we love Jesus. That's the bottom line. Even though we may look different, even though we may believe different things about the government, all of these things, we come together. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. You don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat or an independent to come here. We don't ask you to change the way that you view politics to come to this church. We don't. We ask you to come around this one idea. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. You guys, whenever I came to Jesus, he did not change the color of my skin to match yours. Didn't. He didn't do that. He said, hey, but you're going to come with people from all different backgrounds. Why? Because he is the Christ, the son of the living God. I wish it did, but when I gave my life to Jesus, my bank account didn't change, didn't grow all of a sudden magically so I could match other people. Man, I really wish it did, but it didn't. But, but you guys, we're in this together. No matter how much you make, no matter how little you make, because we believe this, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's the power of the church. That's the power of the church. It's not that we all look the same. It's not that we all kind of come from the same background. No, it's that Jesus is the Christ. That's what Peter's saying here, right here. We're united around this fact right here. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And so that's the power of what takes place as we come together as followers of Christ is that we believe that. That's the foundation of the church that we stand upon. What else? Let's keep on walking through this passage Jesus goes on after Peter makes that statement. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I want you to catch two things right here in this small segment, in this small passage of scripture. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. There are some church traditions that have thought, well, maybe Jesus was talking to Peter, and that Peter's the rock that he's going to build this thing on. And that's not what Jesus was saying. When you look at the words there, there's a difference in the two words of rock that he uses there. Peter means rock, but there's a difference there. And what he's talking about is, hey, this statement that you just made, this is foundational. This is the church of Jesus Christ. He says this, this is my church. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? This is Jesus' church. It's not your church. It's not even my church. Okay? And that's my whole heart here as I lead this thing, as I have the privilege of leading New Community Church, my goal is that you would not get too much attached to this personality. That's why we have other people speak. That's why I'm not the only one that hears from God. Why? Because this is not my church. This is Jesus' church. 
This is important to him. He's passionate about this. He's personally invested in NCC right here in Mesquite. He has a vision for us. He has a goal for us. And it doesn't solely surround around Aaron Escamilla. Now, there are places and believers that gather together all in a person's name, around a personality, around an individual. That's a dangerous thing. Because then when that person's gone, you feel like my relationship with God is gone. And that should not be the case. We're in this together. This isn't about me. This is about the person you're sitting next to. This is about the person in front of you. This is the person that you share your story with and that you encourage. We're in this thing together. And so this is not Aaron Escamilla's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. He said this, this is my church. And we need to remember that that it's not all about us, okay? It's not whether we came in and they sang our favorite song or Pastor Aaron made me laugh this many times in the message. That's not what this is about. We're gathering together because he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's our focus here. That's why we're coming. We're growing in this thing together because of Jesus. He is the center of attention as we come together and as we worship and as we open up his word, our focus is on him. That should be the desire. And so if this is his church, if he makes that statement, this is my church, we should realize this is important to him. What's yours, you have ownership of and you take care of. What's something that you birth and something that you invest, if you have dreams about something, you have a vision about something, you're passionate about that. This is important to Jesus. And so it should be important to us. It should be important that we come together. Now, once again, there's nothing sacred about 9.30 or 11.15. We could get together at 6 p.m. But when the believers are getting together, what God is wanting to do through your life and through my life, it is important to Jesus Christ. This is vital for us, you guys. We're growing in this. We need this time together. And so once again, let me step on your toes. This is more important than other things that go on in our week. We set aside this time together, once again, not because 9.30 is sacred on a Sunday morning, it's because I need to be around you. Your faith encourages my faith. Your conversations stir up my faith. So when I'm going through something difficult, I'm like, man, I'm going to keep going. Someone's praying for me. Someone's believing in me. This is important to Jesus. So there is a danger when I start to say things like, man, this is important to Jesus, but my kids' sports activities. When I'm saying one thing with my mouth, but I'm living something out through my actions that are totally different, and I start to say, well, God, getting together with other Christians, maybe, no, he said, this is my church. I'm passionate about this. This is important. That means that this is important even when the Dallas Cowboys have an early game. Okay? This is important when you've had a rough week and you want to keep hitting that snooze alarm because you want that extra hours. This is still important because this is the church of Jesus Christ, okay? And so I want you to hear me this morning. I am not saying you don't love Jesus ever if you ever miss a Sunday, okay? If you're away on vacation, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying there is a dangerous thing when I create habits in my life where I'm saying, yes, Jesus, your church is important. I know this is your church, but I'm not living in a way where my actions are declaring that, no, this is important. Us getting together, me being in fellowship with other believers, this is important. Why? Because this is the church of Jesus. And he said that this is my church. I'm gonna build this. And so let's, let's just hit these last two thoughts right here. He says this, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the light bulb moment. Oh, Jesus, now I see why we're in Caesarea Philippi. 
Now I see why we're standing right outside of the temple of Caesar and we're standing right outside of the temple of Pan. God, I've got it now. Now I get what you're saying. You're going to build a church. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the savior. And you're saying that gate of hell will not stand against it. And that gate of hell will not stand against it. And sexual immorality and worship to some individual and worship of some, nothing will stop the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Do you get it, disciples? Do you get it, followers of Christ? The gates of hell will not stand against it. That's why he chooses Caesarea Philippi, because it was known as one of the darkest places. And he's showing the disciples, it doesn't matter where you're standing. It doesn't matter how dark you think it is. Nothing will come against my church and defeat it. My church will continue. My church will be built. My church will grow. My church will make an impact. That's what he wants them to see. That's what he's telling them. And so I want you to get this inside of you. You can overcome what comes against you. You can overcome because you're the church. Once again, the church is not a time. It's not a building. You're the church going into your workplace. So I want you to hear this. I, as your pastor, I get up on Monday mornings, on Tuesday mornings, throughout the week when I'm here, and I just take a moment and I pray for the church. And I say that, God, your church is going to show up at work today. Students, I pray over you. God, your church is about to walk into the school doors. They're about to walk into the cafeteria. They're about to walk. God, your church, Lord, right now is all over this community. Your church is in homes. Your church is at the grocery store, God, and you want to do something through your church. That's what he's saying is the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can overcome what comes against you. What do I mean by that? I want to make this very practical. Some of you are walking into your workplace saying, but Pastor Aaron, you don't know what my workplace is like. You don't know what they talk about. You don't know the attitudes of other people. You don't know how far they are away from God. And in those moments where you think that, I want you to picture Jesus standing in Caesarea Philippi out of the temple of Pan, outside of the temple of Caesar and saying, the gates of hell will not stand against my church. Students, when you feel overwhelmed and you're walking in there and you're saying, Aaron, the kids at my school, the conversations that they're having, the drug issues, the sexual, all of those things, Aaron, I don't know what could happen. I don't, I don't know how to reach them. Remember, Jesus said the church will prevail, that nothing will come against the church. Nothing will overcome the church. You're the church going into some of the darkest places. And that's why Jesus chose that location, because he wants you to remember you're my church and I'm sending you out. And you can overcome whatever it is that comes against you when the enemy tries to stop you, when the enemy tries to come against you. My presence is with you. I'm walking into those places so that you can be the greatest light to those around you. Let me just close with this last thought and what Jesus says here. He ends with this idea, I'll give you to the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I want to tell you, I spent a lot of time studying this passage, walking through this, reading commentaries. This last part was extremely confusing and hard. I read the most commentaries, different books, what everyone was saying. There's so many different ideas of what it means to bind and loose. What did he mean by giving the keys of the kingdom? And so after all of that, I want to try to make it the simplest idea so you can take it and apply it to your life. What Jesus was challenging them with is, if you live out the kingdom of heaven, here on earth, it'll have a spiritual impact. 
If you live out, if your words and your actions, if you'll live out my will, if you'll live out the kingdom of heaven, when you're walking into some of those darkest places, if you'll live out in a way and you'll speak in such a way, the kingdom of heaven can come here to earth. He's saying, hey, I'm like a father giving my keys to, or giving my kids the keys to the house, giving my kids the keys to the kingdom. And he's saying, hey, you're taking my presence with you. You're taking my spirit with you. We have the ability to bring heaven and the work of God and the kingdom of God right here to earth, right where you're at, to bring the power of heaven, to bring the presence of heaven right here on earth, right where you're at. You have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You can open up that door and invite God's presence into your workplace, into that family gathering. When you're around family members that are difficult, invite God's presence in there. Invite his, bring heaven to earth right where you're at. Why? Because you're the church right? And you believe that statement. He is the Christ. The salvation of God has come to this earth and we are people ushering in the presence of God, inviting him in. Let me give you two powerful illustrations and then we're going to respond together. I've been having conversations with people in our church and I've seen a beautiful picture of this. The first is she's sitting in service here this morning. Brandy, Brandy, just wave at us real quick. I've been talking with Brandy every week and she is a family member that's been struggling in their health and I've been praying for this family member. She's been praying. Every Sunday, I'll ask, ask about this individual. And I love this because no matter what the doctor report is that's come back that week, Brandy always ends that conversation with Pastor Aaron. I trust God. He's in control. He's got this. I don't know what's going to happen yet. I don't know the outcome. The doctors don't know the outcome. But I'm telling you, I trust the power of God. He's got this, Aaron. And my trust and my faith is in him. And I walk away thinking, man, my faith is encouraged. Man, my faith is being stirred up. Why? Because she's inviting God's presence into that situation. Another earlier on Tuesday this week, uh, it was during staff prayer, and I stepped out for a second because Eddie Alpelt, you guys may know him from Extreme Air, a business owner, a man of God in our church, was calling me, and we chatted for a few minutes, and I was just asking him about some of, you know, the difficulties in business world and what he goes through and everything. And he ended again with, Aaron, it doesn't matter the hardships. Other people are freaking out, but I'm trusting God. He's got this. He's been faithful in the past, Aaron. I know he'll be faithful right now. My trust is not in what other people are saying. My trust isn't even in myself. It's in the power of God to work in every situation in my life. Now you see both of those pictures and what happens. They're untying the hands of God. So many of us with our words and our actions, we're tying up the, we're binding the hands of God. God, I don't know. I don't know if you can do this. God, there's this, I'm facing this. This is going on in my family. There's this addiction in my life. Jesus, I'm just not for sure. And it's like, we're tying up the hands. We're shutting the door of heaven saying, God, I don't think you can do this. And in this passage, he's saying, no, you're the church. You're people that open the door to God's presence. You're people that through your words and you start to speak it out. It's God's presence. I trust God. God's been faithful. You open the doors of heaven and invite the kingdom of God into the darkest places, into your hard situations. And God's saying, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there because you're my church. You're my church. You're what I believe in. You're what I'm passionate about. And you guys, I want us to live in this way. I want us to realize that When we come into this room, we're not looking at what divides us. We're united around one person. We're united as one body around one person. He's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. 
And that statement right there gives us power. It shows the importance of what we're doing getting together. It shows us what God is speaking over. It reminds us that nothing can stand against us. No difficulty, nothing can come against us because Christ is with us.